Hi, and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Mark Garrett-Hayes. This is the podcast for training business owners like you and I all around the world. And every single week we have either a guest on the show or we have someone who gives me an idea and I talk about that particular topic that particular week. Today, we have a coaching call and it's with someone called Maureen Hotchner in the United States. And she is currently working in a range of areas, specifically though, in the area of providing mental health services. That is to organizations who have employees who face a range of crises, personal and professional, and often require the intervention of a professional just like Maureen. This is episode 38 of the podcast. Thanks for stopping by. Hey, and welcome to the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Every week, we bring you exciting news and interviews with training business experts and training business entrepreneurs from around the world. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. Here's your host, Mark Garrett Hayes. Hi, and welcome to the show. As I said before the music, my name is Mark Garrett Hayes. And this is the podcast for training business owners around the world, helping you to start, to grow, and to scale your training business. Now, something you may have encountered personally or may have heard of in the past is the provision of training in the area of mental health services. What do I mean? There are organizations who have employees who may be on the front line of customer service have a very difficult job. And I'm, I'm someone like that. I've been there in the past with my background in hospitality and working on help desks. In often, in these situations, people often either face threatening uh, calls or abusive behavior, or sometimes their personal health, mental health, faces a crisis where maybe they are considering suicide or something else. Or sometimes they are affected by the actions of others, be it violence in the workplace or some other incident. And when that happens, organizations call upon the services of someone like Maureen, who is today's guest. So today is a coaching call. Insofar as we're not training or delivering on a particular topic, so much as listening to Maureen describe what she currently does, whom she does it for, and quite specifically, what she wants to do with her business. So I think you'll find this interesting. It's at least twice as long as the average episode. So I hope you enjoy it. And let's talk again after the interview with Maureen. Hi, Maureen, and welcome to the show. Hi, Mark. It's nice to be with you. So for our listeners, where are you today? Um, I live in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. Uh, it's in central PA, uh, about seven miles from Harrisburg, the state capital. Okay. So um, well, you and I have talked offline. We've talked before this interview. So I have kind of an idea of what you do and whom you serve and, and why people work with you. But again, for our listeners, what is your background? Because I know that um, you have... You've all kinds of acronyms like EAP and, and something called SISM, which I'd never heard of before. So for people listening, just give us an overview of, of those things. Sure. I'd be happy to. Uh, well, I have a master's in social work. And uh, after raising our family, I decided that uh, I could venture back to work. And I worked in hospice as a medical social worker uh, for quite a while. Um, after I needed a break, I uh, looked into working with... Um, the corporate culture, because I knew that they had uh, a need for uh, mental health 
concerns. Uh, so uh, EAP stands for Employee Assistance Programs. And what uh, the work that I found is basically uh, doing trainings uh, for corporate companies, for healthcare facilities, for plants, for, for factories and so forth. And uh, the bulk of the trainings that I do have to do with um, uh, managing stress at the workplace, mental health at the workplace, you know, communication skills, surviving trauma at work, uh, cultural diversity, working with uh, working across the generational differences. So if that gives you an idea, those are the the uh, the needs that that companies have. And um, as I mentioned to you, I don't work for the companies directly. Here um, in Central PA, we we have a huge uh, uh, Amazon warehouse, and uh, you know we have federal government, state government, and so forth. But um, this work, uh, they don't hire directly; they farm it out to other companies. And I'm a contractor that works for a middleman, if that makes sense. And I'm the person who delivers the the trainings when they need them. So that's the the training piece. So some of the issues where you're called out to, let's say, Company X, um, as a SISM provider, and that, that stands for Critical Incident Stress Management. Correct. Yay. Mm-hmm. Uh, got that right. Um, <laughs> you did. <laughs> could things like violence in the workplace, um, maybe, you know, family bereavement, uh, some threatening behavior. How, how common is that these days? You know, things like, uh, you know, threatening behavior and, and stress and and in areas like that, how common is that? Is it growing? Is it? Yes, it is growing, and uh, I, I, I'm sorry to say it's very common. Um, what we're seeing recently is a rash of violence against healthcare workers, and it's increasing. It's ever increasing. Um, so that's that's a big issue: the safety of employees at uh, particular concerns. Uh, right before Christmas, I went out to the scene of a bank robbery, and uh, the the poor tellers were, were traumatized uh, and uh, they were there in a sort of a, a high crime area. They hadn't been robbed for six years. That was their badge of honor. So um, it's amazing uh, the, the things that you, you don't realize that go on. Uh, accidental deaths, uh, when it comes to first responders, line of duty deaths, a, a firefighter, law enforcement, uh, or even uh emergency service workers. So, um, and, and those are folks that see a lot of trauma every day. So, yeah, I mean, I'm called out, uh, at least once a month for, uh, a critical incident trauma issue at the workplace. Right. And I'm, I'm curious about your background as well, because, um, you also, uh, lived in Paris. You were, you, you said on the information you gave me was that, uh, you worked previously in La Défense as a bilingual secretary for, uh, American Express and later IBM. Um, so, w- what kind of drew you to the point where you're now working in the context of um, critical incidents at companies like the incidents you've described? Um, you know what? I think that uh, my social work background, working five years in hospice, um, I'm accustomed to crisis, I'm uh, accustomed to trauma, and it seemed like a good match for me. I, I think it dovetails nicely with my background. Um, uh, and again, because I, I can be dispassionate because it's not happening to me, but I have a lot of empathy uh, for the folks that are going through trauma. And, uh, you know, when you're in the midst of it, you you can't sort it out. You need someone to kind of guide you. You know, you feel like you're going crazy. You're having nightmares. Uh, so I think that uh, support and education are huge. And um, 
I feel that I can provide that. And again, my social work background um, helps me with that. So <clears throat> I find that work very rewarding. Okay, so the, so the um, your qualification in, in social work uh, predates your experience in Europe. Um, sorry. Uh, okay. Uh, you know what? I'll, I'll take a step back, if you will, because it is confusing. Uh, and I'm going to take you way back to the late 70s. Uh, and uh, my then boyfriend, now husband, was desperate to go to medical school. He got a C in organic chemistry and he thought, this is it for me. I'm done. You know, there was a glut <laughs> right. of people trying to get into any kind of graduate school because of the Vietnam War and the draft. So highly competitive. Uh, so he, you know, thinking outside the box, uh, he and his buds found uh, a program, a business, if you will, that helped, um, uh, uh, college graduates get into the French medical system. And, um, I highly, I highly promote this. It's very, very democratic. Uh, anyone can get into medical school. It's very rigorous. It's all in French. There's a very, uh, uh difficult test at the end and only 20% uh, make it into the next level and can continue. So, uh, I, uh, married my childhood sweetheart at the age of 19 and we moved to Paris, France. He had to go to school. I had to provide for us. So I first worked for American Express uh, in, in the heart of Paris. And then uh, I worked at La Défense uh, for IBM. Uh, and um, it was very interesting. I worked in the manufacturing department where I had seven people from around Europe uh, that I had to get used to, used to their cultures. And then um, it was kind of interesting. Shortly after that, I worked for, um, I left La Défense, I still worked for IBM, but I worked for a department called Southern Area Development. And basically that was the uh, displaced executives from uh, Beirut, from Lebanon. And um, I, I worked with that group. And again, a different culture was a wonderful experience. And um, it was huge. It was a huge um, uh, difference for me, but I enjoyed every moment of it. So uh, that is the experience in France. And then I continued to work for, I don't know, probably about eight years until my husband got finished with finishing school here. Uh, let's see, internship, residency, fellowship. He's, uh, he's a cancer specialist now. But I mean, finally, when he started getting a paycheck, we switched roles and uh, I got to return to school. So I, I squished uh, three years of college into two, and then I went straight on uh, for my master's in social work. Oh, that's a great story. It really is. <laughs> oh, I can hardly believe it now. It seems like 100 years away. But um, I, if I can jump in, um, I want to talk about the trauma because you, you hit on something that's kind of struck a nerve. Um, if I can take you back to the 1970, late 1970s in Paris, um, I worked in the credit card division and uh, you could come to me or come to us if your credit card was lost or stolen. And basically uh, the poor American tourists, you know, it was before internet, before cell phones, before Skype, anything of that sort. Um, basically American tourists didn't speak any French and they would come into my desk, um, you know, hyperventilating, crying, just uh, devastated, thinking that they were, um, you know, stranded. They were going to ruin their vacation and highly distraught. Um, so, uh, you know, I without using it, I was 
using, you know, psychological first aid and trauma support. Now I know that's what it's called. I would help them. I would make phone calls for them in French. I would direct them to the police station to make their reports. Uh, you know, I reassure them, take care of them. And, you know, American Express at that point was sort of a beacon for all Americans in Europe. So um, that had a profound effect on me. I knew I didn't want to be a secretary for the rest of my life, but I loved making that connection. And I, as I said, I found it very rewarding. So I knew once I'm out of this role, I'm definitely going back to school and I, I wanted to do social work. Right, and you've been presenting courses on on topics, as we said, grief and loss, um, cultural diversity, and so on. So those topics are very literally topical right now. I'm, I'm more conscious of, of the requirement for uh, resilience training, but also a lot of mental health training. And so that's what you do. So what do you think is it about you that that connects with the people who need these kinds of services? Because that's, as a trainer, very important to understand why you love to do what you do and why it's right for you? Uh, good question. Um, you know, I, I think because uh, for the first part of my young adulthood, I struggled and worked very hard uh, and it, it was not easy. And when I go into companies now and I get to chat with employees after the training is over, they tell me how stressed they are. They're, you know, hunched over uh, a, a laptop, a, a desktop. And uh, as soon as work is over, they're dashing to get children. Often it's a blended family. They're getting children from other residences. They're running around to activities. It's dinner, sleep, and then repeat. They're incredibly stressed. And then, you know, there's the environmental factors, you know, uh, financial issues, uh, relationship issues, uh, legal, housing, health, and the like. I mean, our society um, is very stressful. And where we are, there's not a whole lot of a safety net. If you're a certain income, yes, we have provisions. But if you fall in the middle, you know, if, if you're working poor and so forth, uh, you don't have a lot of resources. So um, I have a lot of empathy for um, that population. And uh, likewise, when I go in and I do, um, I'm doing a lot of uh, suicide prevention, as I might have mentioned to you before. And I think that's huge because I, I do it. I uh, give the uh, talk to supervisors and managers, and they play a key role in, in educating themselves and being aware when an employee is struggling because there is treatment out there, depression, anxiety. They're uh, very treatable and manageable mental health diseases. So um, I, I, I know I want to bring light to that because you can improve your quality of life by getting help. Yeah. Okay. That's clear. So coming to you specifically and your business, um, let's explain your business model to listeners. My understanding is that, say, Corporation X in your neighborhood will go to market, find an EAP, who in turn may subcontract to another party, who in turn brings you in. Is, is that right? Absolutely. That's absolutely right. Uh, as I said, I, you know, I do things for Amazon. Deloitte uh, Consulting is here. Uh, we're sort of a hub of... Um, a, Fortune 500 companies, believe it or not. And uh, yes, they won't, they will have an EAP. So they have uh, various counseling and legal and financial help for their employees. But for certain trainings, they reach out to someone else. They decide that uh, 
you know, there's a need for suicide prevention. There's a need for handling stress at the workplace. And that middle company I work for as a consultant, they contact me and say, we have a need. Are you available? Okay. Is that just one company you do that work for? Well, actually, I work for two companies. One is for the employee assistance training type work. And the second company, uh, they happen to be called CompSych. And they're a very, very large EAP. And uh, when I work for them, I do the SISM work or the crisis work. Yes. So that's the one that calls me out, you know, for uh, the violence, the suicides, the bank robberies, and so forth. Yeah. So one almost is kind of uh, proactive in the sense that you're delivering training and the other is more reactive for responses which crop up and often are of an extreme nature, traumatic nature. Okay, so you've got kind of two two strings to your bow here. Um, so with that in mind, what are your goals for your business and why are they important to you? Uh, going forward, I'd like to be able to forge relationships directly with companies uh, and I'm thinking uh, that I might try and target uh, <clears throat> smaller companies of 100 employees or less, and um, that way they most likely don't have an EAP in place. So I would like to uh, <clears throat> provide some of the services uh, that uh their employees would need, including training, including one-on-one -on -one coaching, that sort of thing. So um, I don't know how viable that is, but um, I'd like to see that uh, happen. And likewise with um, critical incident stress management, I don't know how likely that is that um, I can work independently. Um, although I will just... <laughs> I just need to digress for one second. I met um, someone at a conference last week. She's a licensed social worker who's worked for an EAP for um, 20 years, actually, in Baltimore. She's created her own program, and she uh, markets to businesses. And I love her business card. It says, empowering your human capital to drive ROI, return on investment. I think it's great. And she told me uh, that uh, her way to get into these companies is to provide a wonderful um, opioid epidemic crisis training, which the companies are very happy to pay for. And she said once she's in there, typically they, they like her style and her work and so forth, and they invite her back for um, other trainings. And I'm just looking on the back of her business card and the top bullet she has is behavioral risk, which is code for providing a drug screening of some time or the opioid crisis uh, issue, and then crisis management. So um, I hope to connect with her this week and pick her brain um, about, you know, how she does that. But I think I'd like to follow her model of using my, you know, storehouse of experience and information from uh, my social work and recent trainings and so forth and market to, to smaller companies. Okay, so to clarify, um, right now you are working through literally um, one person or one company followed by another company and then the end person after that or the entity, they're the people who supply the work. So basically there are two different uh, levels between you and the end client. Um, well, uh, there is, there's two different companies, but basically I use one company, uh, their initials are BLI and I use, uh, as I said, comp psych, 
Uh, so BLI is training and comp psych is CISM. Uh, but I'm one step away from the end client. So let's focus on the training for now. And I think it's a, it's a good idea to literally focus which which people say stands for follow one course until success. Okay. So let's just take, take something, either of the two, whichever you prefer. Um, and with my kind of coaching hat on here, I'm thinking, um, what what is preventing you doing what the person whom you've just mentioned doing it yourself? Or do you currently <laughs> do that? What What's in your way? Uh, there's absolutely nothing other than uh, my uh, probably uh, level of confidence. Um, and I was uh, listening to something that you said in a previous uh, podcast about cold calling and I used to be the queen of cold calling in other arenas a long time ago. As a social worker in our system, sometimes you have to try and get blood from a stone. And, uh, you know, I just recently uh, got um, a, um, a group of religious leaders to help uh, a retired uh, hospice nurse that's fallen on ha- hard times financially. Uh, she lives in Gettysburg. I got her a new roof. So I'm thinking, my goodness... <laughs> You know, you got Sarah a roof. You must be able to have talent somewhere to be able to make this happen. That was the internal dialogue that was going on, actually. So um, what's preventing me? There's nothing. I, I, I think that cold calling would go a long way to uh, making inquiries about uh, company needs and what I provide and what I can offer. Well, let's not rush to solutions just yet. Let's, let's fl- flesh things out here. So if I said to you, are there restrictions right now preventing you contacting specific businesses and clients? Uh, is that the case? Or do you feel you want to continue working through other people? Do you want end clients? Are the restrictions preventing you doing that? Or do you have to, or do you want to continue working with your EAPs, your uh, other people in the middle? Um, To answer your your question, no, there are no restrictions. And uh, yes, I would like to work directly, uh, you know, with the clients without the the middleman if possible. Yes. Okay. So let's start with your first why. What would the difference be if tomorrow, well, let's say a month from now, we could click a switch and you now are working directly with people rather than with middlemen, as, as you said, what would the difference be to you financially and emotionally? Huh. Um, I, I think it's huge. Uh, it's come to my attention recently that uh, Fortune 500 companies have large budgets for training. Uh, I can share with you that each time I'm called out to do a training, uh, I'm paid $125. It would be normally a one-hour training. Uh, however, when I, and I, I don't have to create it, it's, it's done for me. And sometimes depending on which EAP is involved, I may get trainer notes. I may not. Uh, but many, many times, Mark, the, uh, the slides are very sparse. Of course, I can't read from a PowerPoint slide. I have to, um, internalize the information and, uh, work a fair bit on, uh, filling in the gaps, if you will. So I would be creating, um, uh, the, the big difference is that I would be, uh, creating my own trainings, writing my own trainings and not using somebody else's. Do you currently have your own intellectual property, your own slides, your own version of those? Uh, I only have them in one area. Uh, and it's, it's not, I don't think it's very relevant. It has to do with healthcare. Um, I, uh, created a six part series they're standalone ex, uh, lectures about emotional eating and so i have that everybody in healthcare likes it but they 
you know, it's like many things in our system. Um, it's wonderful, but they don't want to pay for it. I was targeting post uh, bariatric weight loss folks because uh, after weight loss surgery, there is tons of support medically, of course, nutritionally, but there's nothing available for psychological nor emotional support. And I think that's absolutely key. Uh, I, I, and everybody, as I said, thinks it's a great idea. I showed it to a bunch of healthcare providers, but, um, I, you know, it's not very, uh, important, the wealth, the psychological welfare, I guess, of, uh, of, uh, their population that, you know, anyway, that that's the story there. If you had to come up with three areas, your own portfolio or initial portfolio and go along to company X, um, what would those topics be? Uh, certainly stress management and along with that, uh, managing stress at work. And, um, I've been trained in a specific, uh, type of uh, suicide prevention and I'm wanting to, uh, get the eight hour training and go to the train the trainer for that. It's called uh, QPR, which stands for question, persuade, and refer. And that's used quite a bit uh, with first responders. Uh, so I would like to offer QPR. I'd like to be a certified certified in that uh, because those are the ones that are in the biggest demand now. Okay. Can I make a comment, an observation? I'm just wondering, are you putting things in your way by telling yourself because I've done this too. Um, I will only be ready when I have this piece of paper and that piece of paper, and I've got this certification. Yes. <laughs> In a word, yes, you're absolutely right. Right. So knowing what you know right now, having what you have right now, are is there content that you, with your experience, could put together in one, two, maybe three areas and go out and start having conversations to find out the value of delivering training in those areas to your ideal clients? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely, yes. Okay. So that's your first action is I'd like you to come up with and isolate maximum three. You can whittle that down to one initially, but maximum three topics where you could just an outline, nothing else, no slides. You're going to pre-sell here. Okay. We're not going to go down the path of building something that doesn't fly. So I'd like you to put together an outline and think of that as a kind of a skeleton or a, what we call minimum minimum viable product, MVP, and have an initial conversation, which we'll come to, with people who have the power to uh, ask you to, you know, go into that in more detail. We call them decision makers, okay? So leaving aside your other certifications, QPR, et cetera, okay, let's put those aside for now. Given what you have, because you've ample experience, I think anyone listening to this would agree, uh, you're qualified to the hilt. I mean, you've got your SISM qualification, you've your master's in social work. Um, it's very tempting to chase using that term, shiny object syndrome, SOS. <laughs> and, to, you know, I've done this too. Convince yourself that I'm, I'm, I'm still, I need another piece of paper and I've got one more thing to do and then I'll be ready. So again, your, your first action I'm thinking of is think, think of an outline on maximum three areas that you know given your exposure to the market so far, uh, tell you these are in demand and I can create an outline even one day by tomorrow. I'll have an outline for these. Um, you'll know if they're one hour or several hour uh, programs. And I want you to then think um, about the kinds of businesses that would be a f an initial first 
point of contact. You, you perhaps have addresses or organizations. And the reason I asked you, first of all, what were about restrictions is that there may be some uh, something in place preventing you from, you know, talking to company A because one of the organizations you work with has some kind of contract in place which prevents people they enlist from dealing with their clients directly so you'll know who those are Mm -hmm. but that aside are there restrictions to working out of state or out of your area right now that's a question by the way um i honestly i I mean i'd love to work out of state uh the person that i'm going to contact with that uh, i met recently is from Baltimore. That's another state. That's even though it's, you know, 90 miles down the road. So um, I will find out I have a license, but it's with the state of Pennsylvania. But then again, when it comes to training, uh, my social work license isn't, um, you know, a requirement. I think it's more of, uh, you know, reflects my training and so forth. So, but that's a good question. I'll find out. Yeah, great. Okay. So that, that's an easy one to, to um, fix. So we have our outline. Uh, going forward in time here, you have the outline. And now, have you in, in mind the kinds of organizations you'd quite happily work for? Um, you know what? Uh, healthcare comes to mind. Uh, another uh, side part of all this in healthcare is uh, compassion fatigue. I don't know if you've heard of that before. It's relatively new to me. You know, it's the caregivers, it's the folks in the ER. Um, you know, it's, it's such a high stress uh, and demanding position uh, that folks have in the hospitals, uh, they burn out. So uh, compassion, yeah. You mentioned um, earlier in the conversation uh, IBM and Amex. You have those on your CV. Have you any contacts in those organizations? Uh, that's a very good question. Uh, someone reached out to me on LinkedIn, and I have a very small profile there, and uh, it was IBM, uh, IBM France. And... Uh, I had no idea actually that they they were saving monies for me all these 30 years. So then they didn't have it a current address. So it was a delightful discovery. And I asked this contact, uh, she was from uh, the south of France. And she said, unfortunately, we no longer have IBM Europe. But I, I, I keep going back to that. Uh, and with, you know, the, the miracle of LinkedIn and everything else, I was hoping perhaps to rekindle uh, I, I know that um, there's a lot of Americans going to IBM in India, uh, but I, yeah, I have to work on that. That's a very good question. Okay. So before we go off, um, you know, into a list of, of lots of to-dos, let's keep things quite simple. Um, there are organizations on your doorstep, there have to be, and maybe out of state. Um, you need to narrow down the kinds of organizations where you feel you could do your best work. Uh, for some people, it's professional services. It could be food and beverage companies. It could be, um, you know, tech companies, um, healthcare. That makes sense. Um, but you need to be clear in your mind about, you know, which industries do I gel with? Makes sense to me. I wish I share their values. And the reason I mentioned Amex is because you obviously have corporate experience and that's something you can speak about authentically, you know, dealing with people who have to deal with um, customers who are angry about something. It could be the fact their account has been broken into, their detail has been hacked. Um, so if you've got that experience, that that's something which you can talk about authentically. It may not be what you want to do now, but it could be an interesting, you know, first step is to is to leverage the, the experience you have irrespective of the number of years ago, um, the fact that you've been on the inside working with Amex and you've dealt with their clients, um, those issues that you described, they are still happening today. People 
you know, are in a country and, and this goes missing and that, you know, doesn't work anymore. And, and it's dealing with, and I've been on the customer service frontline, like you have, um, and it's stressful. So if you're able to relate to the fact that you have a common experience with an organization's people at the front line, uh, that is very authentic. Got it. And that would never occur to me. These are things that would never, ever occur to me. So that's absolutely great. Um, oh, my gosh. A lot, of, a lot to process, a lot to think about. Um, and I, I laugh because I have a dear close friend who's a psychologist, and she's always chastising me about going uh, after bright, shiny objects. So. You know what? We we all do it, Maureen. It, you know, don't worry. Um, it's it's easy to to be distracted, and and often the conversation we all have as training business owners or trainers is that you know, uh, I need something else, uh, and um, I'm not yet qualified, or I need something else to to put on front of my name. Uh, and and often the people who don't and make the most progress quickly are the people who say, "What's enough just to get started? Just to get my own business open." to have a couple of clients, a couple of success stories, and go from there. Okay, so my next question is, um, once you have an idea of the kinds of businesses you'd like to target, um, and why, it's really important you understand yourself as to why those companies makes, uh, make sense to you, um, I'd like you to think about the kinds of people who have the power to invite you in and to discuss your outline with them. So who, who is your decision maker inside those organizations? Uh, I don't, you don't have to answer the question now, but you might, you might actually have a title in mind because you work with these people. Um, you know, what area in that business, uh, and would it be HR? Is it someone in the business who has the power to say, yes, Maureen, I like what you're saying. Yes, Maureen, the outline makes sense to me. Let, let's discuss this further. Um, well, as you said, definitely HR. Those are my points of contact uh, before I, uh, you know, a, a week or two before I get an assignment, I make uh, contact with that person and they tell me the background of what's going on and why they uh, feel the need for a training usually. And usually there's a problem that's occurred. Do they contact you directly or is this through the, those third parties whom you mentioned? Uh, the third party gives me the information and it's my uh, job to contact the point of contact at the HR in that particular company and say, this is who I am. This is what I'm doing. Would you like to share anything with me? Uh, sometimes it'll be about a buyout. Employees are very stressed because they're fearful about losing their jobs. Uh, and they'll give me the, the background or on Unfortunately, if somebody's um, one of their employees had committed suicide recently, uh, once everybody you know is back to work, there's a, a lot of issues with morale and confusion and so forth. So, so what you just said to me is that you are experienced in lifting the phone and asking what we call diagnosis questions with people who uh, decide if you're the person to deal with. So, therefore, you are able to go directly to them right now. <laughs> oh boy! Okay. Is that right? No, I, I get your point. Yes, okay. yes, yes. So y you have experience in asking the kinds of diagnosis questions, what we call pain and gain questions, which helps a decision maker to say, yes, you understand what we're talking about and you understand uh, what what's going on here. And you've, you've given me the feeling that you're the person I can put in front of my, 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 uh, my, my employees or, or my colleagues. All right. Great. Got it. Okay. Got it. Got so it, what got does it. that tell you? I'm ready. Right. <laughs> this this is the stone in the shoe conversation. Yeah. Yes. You know, yes, you, yes, you, yes. we're not making this up here. You, you currently have 
oodles of experience. You have the qualifications, a master's, that, that carries weight. You have your SISM qualification. Um, you have, shall we say, authority and credibility already with an industry, thinking of Amex and IBM. You, you also have laterally or subsequently experience dealing with healthcare companies. That's a lot of experience. Um, so I'd like you to think about the way you can capitalize on the assets you currently have before we go off chasing more uh, qualifications, because <laughs> you, know, you, you can add those to your bow, but let's not just do that yet, okay? And then you confirm that you currently also, when company X uh, has an issue, they, through a roundabout process, find someone like you who then ends up talking to them anyway and asking the kinds of questions that you would have to ask anyway if they were your client. Is that fair to say? It is fair to say, yes. Okay. Yes, 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 yes. Um, can I can I just ask a question? I had sort of an epiphany while you were speaking and you were talking about which uh, businesses I would be drawn to and why. And uh, this area is a big trucking area and I'm told it's because we have interstates uh, that are free. You don't have to pay, you know, tolls and so forth. At any rate, so there's uh, there's warehouses, there's trucking companies, uh, there's factories, um, lots of factories, lots of warehouses and plants. So I don't know. I, I feel like uh, you know I have a kinship with these folks. I'd like to be able to deliver this information and this education to those folks. And I think there's a real need there. There is. Uh, that, that's good. That's useful to know. But my, my oh no, I shouldn't say but, but my other, um, my other question in my mind is what lends you credibility? So if you had previously been a trucker, that, w- that would make sense. <laughs> you know, so if there was a family member, um, what, what makes you different from your competition? What makes anyone different from competition, particularly in services, in the service industry, is that you've experienced on the front end or you've you've uh, you, you know what it's like to to deliver that service provide that service to customers so what would give you credibility before you knock on a door uh in a word zero okay so that's why we've got some thinking to do here um and this is not something we can do on today's call but it's something you will arrive at and you'll go that's it it's got to be i'm right for them and they're right for me not just they've got money they have a need whoopee here we go it's got to be you know um, I can talk to them because I can relate to them and they can relate to me. So that that is really important, particularly given given the the, the absolute importance of what you do. What you do is life saving. There's no point exaggerating here because you, what you're doing is you're saving lives. So when you can make, make someone feel at ease and, and you know what it's like, that opens doors. So thinking of of something which is it resonates with you and gives you the credibility to resonate with them and it's something which you can do because it's in your competence and certification and then it's within you know a reasonable amount of effort it's something on your doorstep or within an area where you can turn up uh eye to eye meet people and, and give that give yourself because you you care comes across and so when people have that chance to interact with you professionally face to face ideally um Cold calling only gets you so far. That's only one tool in the toolbox. But it's it's your chance to position yourself. So if I said to you right now, for everyone listening, Maureen, uh, what what is your positioning statement? What would you say? My pos- uh, is that like a mission statement? <laughs> I'm not sure, Mark. If I said to you, okay, what does your business do? Uh, 
who needs it and why should we care? Oh my gosh, I wrote one out and I don't have it in front of me. Um, I'll try and um, mm. uh, <laughs> rethink it now. I know um, I'm I'm it, I'm being I'm being nasty here. I know. <laughs> no, 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 no. It has something to do. I'm so annoyed. It has something to do with uh, reaching out uh, with employees and empowering them, or in plat. Uh, it was directed at managers and supervisors. So it was something to the effect of, you know, providing uh, knowledge and education so they can empower their employees to be the, the best that they can be. I mean, I know that sounds very trite. It wasn't that, but something along those lines. Uh, I, I want to improve the workplace uh, because, uh, you know, it's a huge, huge part of our, our, our daily existence and uh, there's things that can be done. Um, oh, I, okay, <laughs> I'm going to have to go back to the drawing board, but I hope you get my, my thoughts. And you know what? Yeah. That, that's yeah. going to be your second piece of homework is to come up with a positioning statement. So one, think of the one you mentioned earlier, which is that that um, you mentioned a colleague of yours or acquaintance who has this on, on hers. It should be the thing that someone should literally be able to wake you up at two in the morning and say, Maureen, wake up, wake up. What's what's your positioning <laughs> statement? And you go, it's this, this, this. We help this. We, we help these kinds of people to do these things for this reason. And, and that that tells you, you know, why you need Maureen. Got it. Uh, well, she's put on her card, and I like this very much. Um, the company is called Evolution, and it's empowering your human capital to drive ROI. Uh, I mean, that's uh, and that's in in a nutshell. She's very clever uh, because you know it, it's a win win if you can uh, help your folks manage their issues. And, and, you know, give them, you know, the referrals, the treatment, the support. Um, it's going to affect your bottom line. I mean, with stress and anxiety and depression, productivity goes down. Absenteeism goes up. Tardyism goes up. I've learned a new word called presenteeism. People show up at work when they're really sick and they don't perform. Uh, it's costing millions and millions. Uh, okay, so let's stop there for a sec. What you've just done is you've begin, you've begun to talk like you know what it's like to be in my shoes. So if I'm the decision maker listening to you, I'm thinking, do you get what we do? Do you understand our world? Do you know what it's like to be in my position as a manager where I have these people suffering from presenteeism where they turn up, but they're you know, unable to work uh, or deliver a full day's work. And, and that has an effect on other people. Um, or absenteeism where people aren't present and that also has a consequence. So if you're thinking of those pains and gains and you can relate to me that you understand what it's like to have my problems. Now I want to talk about your outline because you've given me an idea that you understand me and therefore you can add value to use that expression. Exactly. That's exactly right. I can't, it's, I'm just not blowing smoke. I do want to add value. I feel that there's so much that they have at their access that, and, and they're just not a, a, aware of it. When I go, uh, just as an aside, I will occasionally go to, um, health fairs and you know people have uh, massage chairs and they do health screenings and so forth and my job is to explain to employees what their uh, employee benefits uh, employee program benefits are and nine times out of ten people will say oh I, I didn't even know I had this people are simply not aware that uh, their employer pays for this and it's available to them uh, and now we have tele uh, counseling they don't have to leave their homes. <laughs> 
so they try and make it very convenient to, to get access to, to help. Okay, so, so those people you mentioned um, who would benefit from, say, telecounseling, um, are those the people who reach for the credit card? Uh, I'm not sure I follow. Are those people... <laughs> In other words, are they the people who would pay your invoice? Well, I, I, sorry, again, I'm not following. I mean, uh, the, the people that provide the EAP are the... Um, you know, um, Merck and Lilly, let's say the big pharmaceutical companies. Um, so yes, I mean, technically they have a training department, they have a budget and, um, so the, the reason I'm asking is we're kind of separating two things here. We're separating the, the people who benefit from that counseling, but they're not the people who hire Maureen, are they? Okay. So we need to focus on who has the power to invite you in, who has the power to, discuss your outline, and to say yes to your service proposition. Does that make sense? It does make sense. So yeah. we're looking here not to understand, you know, to some level we are looking to understand what their workforce is going through, and you have that because you've got that credibility and experience. But thinking about the, the decision that someone makes, it's why would we go for Maureen as opposed to provider B or provider C? So if you're understanding what, what they go through to search the marketplace and the kinds of, of value proposition that they need to see, which tells them, that's it, Maureen is the person to speak to, what, what is it that appeals to them that helps them to make that decision? And this comes back to your positioning statement. Got it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, I really do feel that it circles back to adding value. This is how I add value by uh, education, awareness, support. And, uh, it, you know, it's it's going to give back to them exponentially if they um, follow through and uh, start, you know, at being aware of employees and what's going on and not, I mean, mental health is still a stigma mark in this country, and I don't know what it's like anyplace else. But uh, that's why uh, EAPs are kind of morphing from counselors to coaching because people, they don't believe that there's confidentiality if they go to an EAP and they don't want their job to be in jeopardy. They don't want on record that they suffer from a mental illness and so forth. Um, so mental mental health is still a big uh, issue here. It is, yes. And, and, and you know what? Um, I can relate to that personally. Um, I've, I've had to... Uh, consult uh, for help with depression in the past. Um, so I, I, know, well, I know exactly what that's like. And you know what? It's more common than you might think. I've, I've friends of mine who over a, a beer or a coffee have frank, been frank with me and said, yes, I, I understand that. Um, I've had that too. So it's all very powerful stuff. But coming back to the business, and I can't help but do that because <laughs> we're focusing on your business here, yeah. is, is that, you know, you need to to pay the bills, keep the uh, the wolves from the door, and all those phrases. Um, I, I need you to be clear on what makes you valuable, and I think you are. And then, what is different about you and someone else, so that when your positioning statement is clear in your head, you can confidently convey that through a range of means, which we'll talk about to the right people. So who are the right people? They're the people who have the power to make a decision and say, yes, Maureen, let's talk further. Why don't you come in? And you know what, Maureen, that's fantastic. When can you begin? So we're talking to those people. You really have to clarify, do I understand them? Who are they? Where are they? And then what's it like to be them? Um, and, and what would I, if I 
two, maximum three topics that I know, you know, are important, valuable to be solved. We call them pains. Um, your, your outline would make sense to them. So we're not looking at developing a product just yet. We're looking to um, do some kind of um, positioning where we we understand and we get to then refine the outline. And someone says, you know what? I love that. That, that makes sense. I could see that running for three days. Um, and then, but you know what? I, I'd like this as well. And then you can refine the outline. You haven't yet created a product only to find it's not yet, uh, you know, of interest. And we call this the minimum viable product MVP. So um, if I said to you, you had to get that outline in front of uh, a couple of companies by today's what today is Monday. So if I said by Thursday, <laughs> you have to come up with your outline, a, a range of companies, find or look to find the kinds of decision makers in those companies. You obviously have some idea of who they are by title. Um, and you have to find some way to get in front of them. Have you an idea right now? Can you say to us as listeners and to me that you could come up with 10 companies? That's okay. That, that's your next sorry. customer, by the way, Maureen. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Okay, sorry. So continue. So find 10 customers. So... Um, that's destiny ringing, isn't it? Um, so I, 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 I cut it off. It was that's okay. That's okay. In, so sorry. So, so think of, you know, if I said to you minimum 10 identities by title or by people whom you know, by the end of the week, you have to be able to reach out and arrange some kind of next step, just a conversation. Cold call initially, um, it isn't completely cold, is it? Because you've got credibility and you perhaps know someone they know. So if you can find out these people and maybe refer someone whom they know and say, look, we both know this person, or better still, um, get someone whom you know in common and ask them if they can ask them to refer you to that person mm -hmm. or introduce you. Gotcha. Do, do you think that's a, a big, big uh, request? Could you confidently do that between now and Thursday? I, I can do all of, I, yes, I, it's not an issue. Uh, in terms of knowing people in these businesses, you know, I sort of run in social work, mental health circles. So in terms of knowing people at, uh, you know, the headquarters for this big drug company or what have you, I, I don't have those kind of contacts. So I wouldn't, you know, I could certainly do the cold call, but I wouldn't know people okay. in common. Yeah. That's good to know. Okay. So yeah. we're, we're kind of taking baby steps here. So initially, if that's the case, um, we need to approach things slightly differently. Currently, what's on your LinkedIn profile? Because I've seen it, but I want you to tell me. <laughs> uh, uh, nothing, you know, hospice, fixed, nothing, absolutely nothing. And I was waiting. I know you're going to make fun of me. I, was I won't, waiting I promise. Until, yeah, <laughs> until I get more paper. I don't know. So yeah. here's the thing. If I were to look at your profile, what would I want to see and need to see to convince me that Maureen is someone with credibility, with experience, and is someone who understands me and probably has helped people just like me before? Hmm. Uh, well, I'd certainly have to put down that uh, I, uh, I, I do corporate trainings. I, um, I'm certified in CISM and, and uh, crisis management. Uh, I have, what else? <laughs> the M the MSW the Masters in Social Work. Um, I would have to I have to sit down work. I don't have this off the top of my head. I would have to you know make a laundry list um, of of uh, 
experience okay. and credentials. So here's the, th- here's the good news. Um, yes. Your LinkedIn okay. profile, first of all, is essential these days because it's simply the world's largest database of professionals in almost any area you care to mention. Um, secondly, it's a way for people to find you. The LinkedIn algorithm will often suggest connections to other people, the kinds of people who have some kind of commonality with you. Yes. So you have a natural network waiting for you by virtue of what you do, where you've worked, what you know, and and what keywords you have on your profile. But guess what? You don't have a profile yet, so we need to fix that. Now, here's the thing. <laughs> guess what? Yes. It, it could be daunting, but there are professionals out there and you can find them, who will help you put together a really powerful LinkedIn profile. I, I will endeavor to find somebody like yeah. that. Yes. Yeah. There no are. Kidding. I can yeah. think of a few, but I'm not going to skew that. I want you to come up with your own conclusions. And there are plenty in the States who can do that. Um, and also then a corporate photograph, something which you know is professional, uh, you know, not something taken at home, something which you know could look really good. And, and again, it's the kind of photograph or thing which uh, conveys value to someone who has the power to hire you. They might look at you and think, that's that person. I like your smile. Um, I, I, I think we can connect. You know, I, I, I like the look of what I see. And very often appearance goes a long way towards, uh, you know, what's called liking. Dr. Robert Cialdini in, in his book, The Science of Persuasion, calls it simply liking. If people like you visually, the expression you have, how you're dressed, it, it often... Uh, it's a strong point, shall we say. So without the picture, because you don't have a picture right now on LinkedIn, so no one knows what you look like. (laughs) (laughs) That's an easy one to fix, isn't it? Yes, it is. Okay. So you've said also you attend networks um, and you connect with people. How many people in your network, your peers, would you say you have right now? Are you speaking about LinkedIn or just in general? In general, say people just like you who do the kinds of work that you do. Um, very, very, very small, and I'll tell you why. Because um, this is insular, you know, isolating work, contracting work, and uh, you know, I think because of where I'm situated in the state, uh, it's a hard, you know, I, you know, the uh, the meccas for this state are. Pittsburgh and Philadelphia, and even though I'm seven miles outside the state capital, in terms of professional organizations, there's not too much official going on here in terms of of trainers, if that makes sense. And nationally? Nationally, it's very different, and I I haven't even taken a look at that. So So. are you a member of any national association uh, in your area? Um, Just National Association of, of Social Work, and actually that really doesn't help me at all. I, I need to morph, I need to move on to uh, other organizations. Okay. So thinking of SISM, for example, is there a professional national uh, US network for SISM? Yes. I just went to, um, I was second guessing pay, you know, hundred dollars to, um, to join annually. Yes. I just, they're in Baltimore and I just went to a conference two weeks ago and uh, yes, so SISM definitely has a presence that's nearby, and um, I could certainly uh, sign up again. And uh, Okay, before we spend membership fees, what would the benefit be to you of doing that? That is a good question. I'm not quite sure. Uh, in go- attending the SISM uh, conferences every other year, and to be honest, uh, it's a tremendous presence of law enforcement, you know, which is fine, and uh, chaplains and pastors and um, some mental health people. So I don't, I'm not 100% sure what the benefit 
of membership would be, to be honest. Trainers, another story. But um, Okay, so training then, focusing on training as, as that one uh, topic, one area. Um, are you a member of any associations or bodies which, um, okay, why? No, why? I'm not. Why? Uh, well, you know, uh, you know, I keep waiting. You know, I'm... Uh, <laughs> I'm just a weenie. What can I tell you? Uh, it's that syndrome of, you know, that one more piece of paper. Uh, I'm t- I mentioned to you that I'm taking a, uh, t- thanks to the nice people at IBM, they, I found out that I had a bit of a windfall in uh, saved monies from IBM. Uh, so I put it, I reinvested it, and I'm uh, doing a small coaching uh, course and uh, in a month or two. Uh-oh. We're doing another course, are we? Well, it's done. It's done. I have to finish it up now. And um, let's say in September, I'll be uh, a board-certified coach. So where am I going with that? So I'm sort of putting everything on. I'll go on LinkedIn once I get that credential. I'll you know, get the website up once I have that credential. That was my thinking. So I can hear you in my mind (laughs) telling me not to do this, but yeah. You can do it. I I mean, it's not my role as a coach to tell you what to do. I just want you to think and reflect on the value of doing that and to ask yourself, are you putting impediments or kind of what I often say, are you um, lengthening the, the peer before you take a jump? Are you simply extending your peer? I'm a visual person and I love that visual in my head. Yes, I am lengthening the pier for you sure. Before you, if you keep on laying planks, the pier goes on forever and you'll never step off it and jump into the, the, the vessel, which is yours, to take you to the destination you want to go to. Exactly. Oh, I love that. Yeah, absolutely. You're absolutely right. And that's what I'm doing. Yes. Okay. So the LinkedIn profile, Maureen, is a very straightforward one. There are a couple of things where you might need help. For example, someone who can review your profile, which currently doesn't exist. So that's a good place to start from. Um, what yes. kind of keywords would make sense to describe the pains that your audience uh, or your, your, your customers uh, have? Thinking of the decision makers personally, and of course, their, uh, their colleagues, the people on the sharp end who, who go through these um, or have these requirements. And you can build a natural network initially because people will connect to you by default and, and connections will be suggested. But on LinkedIn, if you contact people, they will want to see who are you and, and, and where are you. So the natural place professionals will come to is, is to LinkedIn. And the other thing that conveys um, authority and credibility on LinkedIn would be some kind of post. It could be something you give away of value to people and here's the way to do it. A website, you don't have to create a full website initially. You can use something called like uh, leadpages.net or Unbounce or a range of tools. Um, uh, Instapages is another one. Instapages, I-N-S-T-A pages. Um, if you are not tech savvy, that's okay. There are people on Fiverr and other sites like that who will help you to put together a landing page uh, pretty quickly. And what a landing page is, is simply a single page, which gets people to take action. And the action you want them to take is to download, for example, your checklist. Or it could be, here's um, something like uh, 10 signs to recognize the need for urgent intervention in your workforce. Uh, f- five ways to recognize stress in your employees. And here's what to do about it. And that could be an article. But if you give those things away for free without getting some kind of email address, 
it's kind of a waste for you. So think of what those things would be. Don't worry about what the web page looks like. It's a landing page. So that when you, um, in your LinkedIn profile, you have a link to that. So when people click on the profile, they're taken to your landing page away from LinkedIn. And on that, they could see a quick uh, 60 second, two minute video saying, hi, I'm Maureen. And this is what I do, blah, blah, blah. Someone again can edit that for you very cheaply. I have a video editor who does stuff for me under $100 at a time. Um, And they'll make your video look very professional. So people see you, they hear you, and they get that passion in your voice. And then you can encourage them then. And look down below. Please click now to download my free, you know, I'm making this up, a 10-step list to recognize and deal with with stress, work-related stress with your team. And then that's a PDF, again, which someone can help make for you on Fiverr. It's easy. So you don't have to worry about the tech. Just come up with the positioning here and think of what would actually be a value to someone, your decision maker, not the people who consume the service, but the people who commission the service. So the manager, the the person who has the power to have a conversation with you, um, downloads that and says, you know, this is really good. Um, and, and by the way, here, here's a, uh, Here's a course I'm doing, uh, and and they, there's the outline for the course as well. So one thing leads to the next, and then uh, they give you their email address in the form. Again, the lead page captures your email, uh, their email address, and then um, you could email them back and say, uh, "I noticed you downloaded X. Um, I'd love to come in and talk to you about my outline, how I can help your company achieve X, Y, Z." And again, based upon uh, without going being advanced here, which, uh, what we call lead magnet, that's the, the checklist or the thing they download, what they think is of value to them is the thing they download, and that often indicates, you know, where the pain is. And then I noticed you downloaded this, um, you know, I've helped organizations with this requirement in these areas, why don't we set up a talk, um, and that you come in and talk to them about X, Y, Z, whatever that thing might be. Mm-hmm. Got it. Okay. So in summary, we have the LinkedIn profile, which gives a clear you know, value of, of who you are, your qualifications, your CV, all that kind of thing. Uh, it need not be a biography. Uh, mine isn't, but it's enough to say I'm an authority. I'm credible. I'm experienced and I'm certified. And um, again, the network you have, and if you can capture, I'm sure you can, testimonials obviously ethically in the sense that if if they are, you know this, if if they are your client's clients, you can't use them unless they're okay with that. Um, But you've helped people over the years. So having that testimonial, um, that um, acknowledgement, endorsement is is highly influential. We call that social proof in psychology. But but then the, the magic is getting people to take action where they click on a link in your LinkedIn profile and that comes to a landing page. They see you, they hear you in a quick video, and then there's an email, uh, a PDF or something of value to them. And you can create one for each outline. And then they click, I don't have that. I used to have that. I don't need that right now, but this is what I've done and other people I know have done this too very effectively. And then that takes them to uh, the lead magnet, we call it. But to get that lead magnet, they have to give you their email address and that sets up uh, a conversation you can then reach out to them and, and arrange a next step if you like. Wow. Wow. wow, wow. <laughs> I have about uh, 10 pages of notes here, Mark. This is incredible. This is really, really, uh, you know, quite a map. 
<laughs> to get to where I want to go. And I, I, I'm just, uh, I'm overwhelmed. I really, really am. But I mean, you're spot on in all of my weak points. And uh, you gave me a lot of great information on how to stop laying those planks and getting into the action mode. Um, this is incredible. Wow. Well, <laughs> Lots to do. Please, please tell me I, I don't have any more things to do. <laughs> I have more, but we'll, we'll leave that for now. I'll email you a few more suggestions if you like. Um, I would like you to get out with, uh, get more events and, and network. That's always going to be more powerful. But the kind of the web stuff, that stuff you can delegate to other people. Um, you can delegate yourself to a network event. Either you're there or not. And, and often the fact that you're in person, that gets people saying, oh, Maureen's lovely, and she tells lovely stories. And the stories you tell convey experience and, and value. So that's another thing, another time. But the kind of things I've given you are the stuff, things you can do easily. So by um, as a coach now, let me ask you, what are your takeaways? What are your action points that you want to get done? And when will you do them? Oh, my gosh. Let me flip back through all my notes here. Certainly... Uh, <laughs> getting on to uh, some technical people at Fiverr or someplace else. Certainly the, uh, the LinkedIn profile, that's got to be done. Certainly the uh, professional, the corporate photo, uh, the outline uh, based on what I feel is the most needed in our area, stress management wise, that I've got to do. Um, <clears throat> looking at the Insta pages and some of the other resources that you gave me, I don't I'm flipping back to my notes here. Um, I'll email those links to you. Don't worry about that uh, addresses. Okay. Okay, great. Um, and, you know, I, I get the importance, you know, I, I it resonated with me when you spoke about uh, people connecting with the photo, because I think that's true. Uh, and they, they just get a vibe from the photo. So uh, I've been hesitant about that and I have to just get over it and, and do that. Um, what else? Uh Certainly the networking, looking into uh, connecting with other people uh, with through some professional association. Um, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of bummed because um, I, I'm happy that I live here, but I was looking for, you know, coaching groups that I could connect with. And um, you know, geographically, they're simply not in my area. So either I have to, you know, find groups to just Skype with or uh, and um or what or, else? Or what yeah, else could or, you do? Uh, I could physically go to these. I could physically go to um, uh, networking events and annual conferences. And what else? Can I create my own what? Your own group. Oh my gosh! You're kidding me. <laughs> I suppose yes, it's possible. I think you're asking me things that are above my pay grade this morning. So. Let's I want you to stretch. I want you to stretch yourself. You don't have to do all of these things immediately, but by stretching your mind, you will stretch your uh, level of risk-taking. And with that, you'll get rewards. Yes. No, I understand completely. And risk-taking uh, is a fear. Got it. Got it. Got it. So I don't know if I've answered your question. I will <laughs> re rewrite these notes uh, so that they're completely legible and uh, make my to-do list and go from there. But I mean, you, I, I feel like you are uh, spying on my life. I mean, you've zeroed in on uh, what I'm struggling with and you've zeroed in on where I want to go. So I think you're clairvoyant and thank you. I'm thank not. You, thank you. Yes, you <laughs> I'm are. not. I'm not. Okay. Yes, the final thing today, um, 
two, well, two final things. Uh, and no, you can, more job, no, no, no more jobs. No more jobs. It's okay. No, is, is reading and thinking. And, and reading, uh, I always say readers are leaders. So the reading you do will influence how you think. And one great book about the entrepreneurial journey, which you can take your leisure in reading, is called uh, The E-Myth Revisited by Michael Gerber. It's a wonderfully simple book about the difference between working in your business and working on your business. And the reason I mention this is because I need you to clarify in your mind, do you want to end up uh, with a business where you are the person delivering it or the person running it or, or a bit of both? And there is a difference there. The final thing I think is incredibly important, and this is something you need to do daily, and uh, it's your positive affirmations. Yes, have you any right now? Uh, not in front of me, but uh, I am a huge, huge believer in that. And, you know, people poo-poo that. And I, really, I am I am on your page. I don't know if you have any favorites. Um, I wax and wane when I, when I pull them out, but I, I think it makes, uh, from every level, it makes a huge difference. So. so I'm not talking about the kinds of, you know, you know weak things or, or you know, uh, in a range of areas. I'm talking about very focused things which uh, pertain to what we talked about today. In other words, the kinds of things which tell you, I have enough experience to start. I have enough certifications to start. I already have the kinds of diagnosis conversations with the people who have the power to hire me. I'm just making these up. Come up with a range of these, because if, if you're listening to that uh, radio station where you're telling yourself these things, and that's what you're listening to, that you are enough and you have enough, um, you will start to take actions which confirm this. On the other hand, if you keep listening to this voice in your head saying, I've got to go qualify as a coach and QPR and get this piece of paper, I'm not ready yet to have a, another conversation. I'm not ready yet to make a phone call. I'm not ready yet to uh, network with people. I'm not ready yet to join a group or even make a group. Uh, that list will grow and grow and grow. So we need positive affirmations to counter those voices and start replacing those things with the things that I know from listening to you today. And I can tell you this confidently, you are ready. <laughs> well, now. Okay. Now. Okay. Now. Yes. N-O-W right now. <laughs> <laughs> you really need. Um, you know, I'm so glad that you mentioned that the affirmations and oftentimes, you know, it's not put into context when we talk about business, but I think it's absolutely huge. So yes, yes, yes. Yes. Okay. Nope. Tell me you're finished. I'm finished. <laughs> oh my God. I, I just, I can't thank you enough. I mean, truly you've hit the nail on the head in era, every area. Great, great uh, resources. And as I said, now I have to decompress and uh, begin processing, but great, great roadmap. I feel that I've learned more here in this hour than I don't know how many coaching courses I've taken. So Kudos to you, Mark. I'm very, very grateful. My pleasure. And, and may I say, on behalf of people who have, who need help from people like you, a big thank you to you as well. Fair enough. Very welcome. Thank you. All righty. So uh, you'll be sending me an email and uh, I'll be updating you on my progress. Yeah, if you need to, if you want to, that's okay. Um, so I, I do appreciate uh, you you sharing your story with us today. I think you've a, a wonderful story experience in, in, in Europe and in other companies uh, and countries. Uh, and the fact that what you do is extremely valuable in today's society. And in fact, I think demand for it is growing all the, all the while. So 
and again, thank you for, 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 you know, your vulnerability and just being honest about your, your thoughts and your shortcomings, because none of us are perfect and that's not the goal. Uh, the goal of this podcast, as I said, is to help people to start to grow and to scale their training business. And we do that by helping each other. And that's what this is about. So thank you so much for your time, Maureen. And uh, I look forward to speaking to you soon. Good deal. Thank you very much, Mark. Take good care. Bye-bye. Well, I, I think you found that very interesting. I know I did. And thank you, Maureen, once again, if you're listening to this. Thank you for your, yeah, sharing. Thank you for your vulnerability in, in sharing your thoughts and revealing to us the things that you currently do and perhaps the things you're not doing, but realize now have to be done if you are to build a credible training business. The good news is that people like Maureen are in demand and Maureen now has a series of ideas, uh, courtesy of the podcast, to work on and some thoughts to lend to how she's going to approach the kind of people who have the power to hire her, the power to say yes to her. And we discussed in today's episode the kinds of actions she can take, many of which are straightforward, others which require some thinking and planning, but they're all in her area of doability, if you will. So my final thought today before we leave is to ask you to think about if any of those things apply to you. Are there things that you think would clarify in your prospect's mind um, what you could do for them and what it's like to be in their shoes? And what gives you the authority, the credibility to put yourself in front of decision makers who have the power to say yes? So if you are starting a training business, it's critical that you think about these things now. What experience do I have that would lend credibility to me? So when I'm talking about someone, I'm not just talking about my my product, my training product and services, but I know what kinds of things people go through and therefore how my training program is going to help them to avoid them or in the case of gains, uh, for example, improved skills and performance, how it's going to help them to achieve those get those goals, th- that particular level of performance. Does that make sense? It does. And the reason is that the most successful training companies are those that are able to, you know, really understand the, the need that a company has to hire them and also conveys credibility and experience which helps someone to realize, yes, you are the company for me. You are the training company that really is the right company for us and I can see why we need to do business together. So lots to think about today. Um, I enjoy the, the talk with Maureen. I think she got some value from it and I hope you did too. Lots to think about and next week in episode 39, only 11 episodes now away from the big 5-0, uh, we're going to be focusing on another topic. I have a range of interviews recorded, so I'm not yet clear as to which one to have um, two weeks from now. Um, today is June in 2019. But I'd like you to tune in again next week, next Thursday, for another episode of the podcast. It's always a joy doing this every single week. So I would appreciate it if you take the time to drop me an email to markghays at gmail.com and give me some ideas as to the kinds of things you would like to hear of or hear about, uh, the kinds of conversations you'd like me to have with guests, which kinds of guests, and of course, which topics would help you in your training business, whichever part or whichever stage you're at in that journey. You can always find the podcast on iTunes, on Stitcher, and on Spotify. 
And all that remains for me to say is thank you again for your time, for your listenership, and I look forward to your company again in next week's episode. Until then, have a great training week. Thanks once more for listening to this episode of the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Go to trainingbusiness.com and subscribe right now to be notified of great competitions, upcoming VIP episodes, and amazing special offers to help you succeed in your training business. See you next time.